0: What's up and welcome back to Kinda Funny Games Daily for this beautiful Witta Wednesday on a Tuesday, Tuesday, April 12th, 2022. Of course, I'm Tim Gettys and I'm joined by the Rogue One,
1: Gary Witta. Good morning, Tim. Always a pleasure to be hosting with you. It is a nice day. Typical San Francisco day. Sunny but cold. Yeah, exactly. Dude, we've been going through a lot in the last Oh my God, the weather this past week. You know what they say about San Francisco? If you don't like the weather, wait five minutes. My goodness. That is the truth and a half, man. It is. It was. It went from being the hottest day of the year to scorching, the coldest day of the year to pouring rain. To it was just every day. We, we had we had what scorching sunshine on Sunday and then pouring like torrential rain yesterday. It All just, over it, the place. It made
0: no sense. I, we were talking about this right before the show, though. You you did get a little bit of color on that day.
1: My yes, yeah, so, I mean was I, I making the those in the eyes Background. Pop. I was hoping to make it slightly less noticeable. Um, but my kid, um, my, my nine-year-old had a, uh, had her school fundraiser this weekend. It was a big, like outside thing with bouncy castles and all that kind of stuff. And I spent all of the afternoon reminding her to put her sunscreen on. And I, and then of course forgot to put any on myself. So now I actually, on the Sunday night had the, the sun, the sunburn was so bad. It doesn't look that bad now, but it was so bad. That I actually had apparently what's called sun poisoning where it's accompanied by, not only do you have really bad sunburn, but you also feel like you've got the flu, like you have uh, flu-like symptoms. You just feel like there. shit. I went to bed early. It was horrible. You ever had that? It's horrible. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. You see how pale I am? You see this? Yeah. 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 I mean, I'm I've basically, I'm, I, my, my natural shade is kind of like a pale blue. Mm-hmm. It's like it, it, I have to spend two hours in the sun just to get to like paper white. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it's, um, we're, we're, not, we're not cut out for this for this kind of weather. Gary, but, I got to ask. Yeah. You'd be bouncing? You get in that castle? As much as I wanted to, um, I don't. I don't think that would have gone down well. <laughs> <laughs> oh, <man. laughs> I do. Lo- I do love a good bouncy castle, though. If they had one that was just for adults, I would totally sign up for that. Hmm. Hmm. Well, you go to House of Air. Something you've been to House was... of Air here in San Francisco? Oh yeah! With all the trampolines.
0: I've been the one in SF, but I I did go to, there used to be one in San Jose back in high school, and oh, we tore that up. Fun fact, I actually dressed up as Sonic the Hedgehog one time and went there, and I held a bunch of rings, and then the kids threw balls at me, and when they hit them, I'd throw the rings. They loved it. That's good. It was fun. I used to
1: to love the bouncy. Some of my favorite memories of childhood are on the bouncy castle. I can still smell the, Mm -hmm. the, you know, the very particular plastic that they make those bouncy castles out of. You know, they say that smell is the the sense that's most closely associated with memory. So when you mm -hmm. certain smells will take you right back to a a certain time.
2: Was there a particular theme for the Bounty Castle? Because usually in the park uh, near where Alyssa and I live, when we take Lulu out to walk throughout the weekend, there's always a birthday every single weekend. Yeah. And there's always a Bounty Castle and it's always a different theme. It's like sports theme it wasn't like
1: a giant shrek butt that you climbed into or something (laughs) like that it wasn't it wasn't like you know licensed or anything they had they had a they had an obstacle course one which was actually kind of cool you like made it was almost like a fall guys kind of bouncy castle maze that you made your way through okay and they had two big slides where you would like climb up the kind of the plastic the the, kind of the rubber rungs and then you could slide down a big slide on either side that that was fun as well
0: yeah yeah. I love it. I love how we go from bouncy castles to fall, guys. You know, from fun in real life to fun in video games. Because this is video. No, oh, damn it. I messed it up. It is kind of funny. Games, oh, the second <laughs> was so close. I was <laughs> oh, so close. <laughs> the this second is kind of was funny. so good. And then you didn't stick the landing. <laughs> I just did it. I, I got in my head. I got in my head. Uh, this is kind of funny games daily. Where Each and every weekday, we get together to talk about the latest in video game news. Of course, you can watch it live on twitch.tv slash kind of funny games. Or you can watch it later on youtube.com kind of funny games or roosterteeth.com if you want to listen to it as a podcast just search your favorite podcast service for kind of funny games daily and we'll be right there for you if you wanted to get the show ad free and watch the exclusive post show you got to go to patreon.com slash kind of funny games just like our patreon producers fargo brady Pranksy, and anonymous have all done uh today we're brought to you by me undies and naples story i'll tell you all about that later real quick just wanted to get some housekeeping out of the way first off i wanted to give a shout out to the one and only nanobiologist who I saw on Twitter today is going into surgery. So everybody, please go send him some sweet, nasty love at the nano biologist, D a nano biologist on Twitter. Send some of that love to his, him, to him, to him his way. Uh, we have a whole bunch of cool content up right now the kfw midday mayhem episode 2 is live on youtube.com slash kind of funny plays later today uh and then we're going to be recording a very special kind of funny podcast with greg and jen about portello today it is sure to be very very sad but also very very special so please join us on patreon at 12 30 p.m today or tomorrow on podcast services uh greg was supposed to be hosting this episode of games daily but bj got a cold which got him sick greg's going through it right now man he's going through a real tough time so i was like you know what i got it don't even trip i'm gonna host this show to the best of my abilities which apparently today not that great but you know what gary we're gonna have fun uh let's see what else we got the everything everywhere all at once screencast is live we recorded an emergency screencast yesterday because i saw that movie this weekend and i was like i need to talk to people about this I and i need more people it's you need to watch it as soon as you can
1: sonic 2 first gary and then yeah, we'll me, me and my everywhere. kid are going to sonic 2 tomorrow Like as i mentioned mm-hmm. because of covid and everything it's actually our first trip to the cinema in over two years you know what the last movie you saw at the cinema was sonic 1 sonic 1 hey! so what a perfect return yeah, that is fantastic
0: to hear. But anyways, check out the screencast over on The Normal Places. It's cool because it includes Matt Rohrbeck and Matt Batson making his kind of funny podcast appearance for the very first time. Um, and that is all of that, Gary. Let's get into what is and forever will be. The Roper Report. It's time for some news. We have five news stories today. (laughs) Oh, Baker's does. Starting with number one, one that's right up your alley, Gary. Can certain affinity reinvigorate Halo Infinite? This is the tweet that came from them. We've been part of the Halo franchise for more than 15 years, and we're honored to say we are deepening our relationship with 343 and have been entrusted with further evolving Halo Infinite in some new and exciting ways. Join us on our journey. And then there's a link to their career page. Um, And then a follow-up story here from Ches... Jez Corden at Windows Central says, Certain Affinity has long been a close partner of Microsoft and Xbox, having worked on Halo games for years. We have it on good authority that the studio is also contributing to other upcoming Xbox games, including Perfect Dark, while potentially also making an all-new exclusive of its own, dubbed Suerte. Today, the studio announced that it's deepening its contributions to Halo, specifically to work on Halo Infinite, which has been under scrutiny for its relatively slow pace of updates. Earlier in the year, I revealed that Certain Affinity is working on a new Mode for Halo Infinite, codenamed Tatanka, and today it would appear CA has confirmed it. A few weeks ago, it was also revealed that Microsoft and Certain Infinity are working on an Xbox exclusive dubbed Project Suerte. While we had the codename and project info, it was Jeff Grubb, the homie, on his show Grub Snacks who revealed that Suerte is a monster Monster Hunter like action game and is coming exclusively to Xbox and Windows PC. Exactly what Halo Infinite's Tatanka is remains to be seen, but the rumors I've received lately point to it having Battle Royale elements in the least, complete with a shrinking arena. I suspect it will have a unique twist or two to differentiate itself from the Call of Duty War Zones and Fortnites of the world, though. Halo Infinite multiplayer is available now for free across Xbox consoles and Windows PC, and recently received a new Season 2 announcement set to launch this May. Gary, I know that uh, recently on the the XCast, I'm not sure if you were on this episode, but the entire uh, topic was what needs to happen with Halo to like keep it going, keep it relevant. Uh, what 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 do you think about this?
1: Uh, yeah, it was. Um, I believe that was me and Mike last week, and we I think when when Paris uh, was on the week before, we, we've talked about it a number of times on the XCast, and and this news just plays into the into this larger narrative of like what is the current state of Halo Infinite you know, what is it now, almost six or five, six months post launch. So I guess there's a couple of schools of thought. One is that it's in trouble. And the other one is that this is just a normal part of the kind of the ebb and flow of development. As you'll remember, Tim, when the game first came out, it had a tremendous debut, right? People mm-hmm. loved it. They were really enjoying it. People were just thrilled in this day and age that it was an online multiplayer live service game that just worked out of the gate. There were very few, Technical issues, you know, it, it all seemed to work, and even that is considered like, oh wow, like what, what a treat, what a novelty, a, a fucking online game that works on day one. Like that's how low our standards have fallen. And there were and there were some gripes about the battle pass and progression and things like that, and then oh, and, but for the most part, people were just loving, loving, loving it. And you know, one multiplayer game of the year awards and basically a great honeymoon period that it had, and then things started to kind of level off a little bit, and the gripes started to get worse. Um, uh, people have been have continued to complain about the battle pass and the progression and the cosmetics, but also bigger issues, like as the longer you play, you start to realize, well, there aren't really that many maps. And you start this is actually one of the reasons why I kind of fell off playing. It I was like, oh really this map again. like I would kill for a bit more variety, both in terms of the maps and the game modes and after a couple of months i just it just kind of i just kind of felt like i was listening to the same you know what you know when you first when you first like a, a song comes out that you love and it's an absolute banger and you can listen to it constantly but after a while you've just like had enough of it i think just that's kind of it. yeah that's kind of where halo got to and and at the same time it wasn't just a case of like you feeling a bit samey like people had legitimate concerns about it about the progression about the variety and, you know, the, the question, again, the question is, it, what's going on at 343 right now? Is it in, are they in crisis panic mode, like trying to get this game back on an even keel? Or, or are they kind of sitting back going, nothing is fucked, dude, like, we got this, don't worry, season two's coming, we're bringing all these extra resources in, it's going to be fine. And if there is an ebb and flow from, you know, really good debut to that it starts to go down a bit, is season two now going to, you know, put it put them back? On the upswing. We'll, we'll know soon enough. Um, it doesn't seem like they've added a tremendous amount to season two. I think, what is it, like two new maps and one new mode, something like that? It's not a whole lot, but I know. But there's also like a million other little quality life fixes and all those kind of things add up. There's certain affinity news. I saw it this morning. I don't know too much about what that's really going to mean for this. But it, it, it clearly demonstrates that, you know, they're committed to, you know, it's Halo, right? They can't just, it's not like Anthem where they just go, you know what, this didn't work. Let's walk away. We got, they, they they can't shut up shop on this thing, right? They have to. Halo has to work, and I think it will, and I think it can. And it, like I said, tremendous debut, leveled off a bit. I I I think there's probably an upswing coming. You know, it's always like this, right? Games kind of level off, and then the new season reinvigorates things, and uh, you know, especially now in this season pass model, whether it's guys or, or Fortnite or whatever it is people people always come back for the new season so there's i think there's i think there is a lot riding on this on this season two and beyond yeah you know it's interesting
0: thinking about halo and its place in the industry and especially infinite's place in the industry where it's not the the same video game internet world that it was back when halo 2 and halo 3 were were popping off and what it what live service met back then was completely different and I mean people weren't even calling it that then but the idea of um the playlist constantly being updated and like even Halo really kind of innovating matchmaking to begin with um and all of that like anybody that was playing Halo multiplayer back then has extremely fond memories of the experience and how long that experience lasted like the only thing I can related to even would be like counter-strike like the 1.6 era uh where every single person i knew was playing every single night um and then when it like did this on consoles it was just such a big deal but for halo infinite to come out and have the moment that it did last year um so much of it due obviously to things like game pass and just the uh the ease of access to to the game it having that giant 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 launch and it just working like you said was so huge for it but i do think that that kind of worked against it in a way because now people are judging it for its fall off and all that and i think that's a conversation we're going to be able to look back on in a couple of years and really kind of redefine what success means for these games in different ways like um we've seen now that anytime an xbox game comes out because of game pass it has astronomical numbers in its first uh weekend or two right and, and don't forget the multiplayer was free whether you had game pass or not exactly yeah except they they really did a good job of getting this into as many people's hands as possible because they believe in it because it's a really good product but there is that that drop off and i feel like that kind of is fuel for a lot of the more negative tinged headlines and that just kind of like sours the conversation around it but when you really look at the group of people that were playing they also did have their their issues with it like they were having so much fun with the game itself and the gameplay but there just wasn't enough. And like you were saying, I know I've talked to Mike and Andy a lot about this. Like It really was the idea that it's not that there weren't enough maps. That there weren't enough maps of d- different types. There weren't enough arena-based maps. There weren't enough big team battle maps. So now that they're adding some more maps, I feel like it might – it's not too little too late, but it is too little at this point. And I feel like Season 2 doesn't seem to be that, that swell of content that um, people kind of are looking for uh, to really give – halo it's moment that it had last year right and there's a lot of conversation to be had about should they have just waited to release the game with the co-op with more um, elements like finished and complete at this point i don't really know um i do think that that would have helped i don't think they would have solved the problems we're talking about right now um but i do think that to take all of that and put it in the framework of certain affinity growing its team and tripling down on halo being something that they're working on is very exciting they're a group of very talented people over there and them i don't think there was a chance of them giving up on halo infinite at this point i think that it was in way too good shape to do that it is not an anthem situation like this not only is it a bigger franchise it is a great iteration in a big franchise yeah. this and it's is, too
1: big to, and it's too big to fail they can't let that happen
0: yeah they just they just can't if they lose halo like that is that is very,
1: very, very, and, bad. and by the way, but I don't think Microsoft. we're anywhere near that. I mean, I don't know. Oh, yeah, you, it, no. you know, it's not, it, it's, I think, hey, like I can say, that Microsoft doesn't put out numbers, so um, it's it's hard to say, but you know, the the thing about this, I think it gets amplified a little bit because it plays perfectly into this kind of media narrative, not just in video games, but in the in the broader kind of media spectrum of how the, the media loves to they call it tall poppy syndrome, where you basically you 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 build something up so that you can then knock it down. Basically, the media loves these perpetual cycles of rise fall and redemption halo came out and it's fantastic and then three months later they need more clicks so it's like oh but now play the, but now Halo's bad and people don't like it i'm not saying they're manufacturing that story that, that's that's what's happening but i'm saying the media loves that and so those are the kind of you know because that keeps the that keeps the story fresh it's good it's bad it's good again and we, we see this perpetuated all over i think by the way halo the halo honeymoon was somewhat helped by the fact that all the other Uh, competing shooters around it over the holiday season failed, right? Warza, sorry, what was it called? Vanguard? Vanguard Mm -hmm. sold a lot of copies, but nobody liked it, right? Battlefield 2042 was just an abject failure. And so, and here comes Halo, which is actually the only good shooter of the three big branded ones that holiday season. Plus it's free, plus they shadow dropped it, plus it was genuinely really, really good and everyone flocked to it. It was, they they... It was almost impossible for them to come in with such a high debut and not have some kind of drop off. But they definitely did engineer that. You know, obviously unwillingly, but by not having great progression, not having you know great battle pass, a great battle pass system, and just not having enough maps to sustain sustain people over the long term. Again, for me, it was a really steep drop off. I was playing it. Every free minute of the day, I was staying up late. I was getting up early in the morning to play it. When I wasn't playing, I was thinking about playing it. I went and got like controller grips from my controller because I thought it would help make me better at the game. Like I was all in. And then just one day, I was like Chris Cooper in Adaptation. Done with Fish. I was just done. I was just done. I was like, I don't want to play anymore. There was just some moment where I was just done. Now, having said that, just in talking to Mike, on xcast last week about he was reading off the notes the 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 dev blog on what season two is going to bring i'm like i don't know maybe i'll go back in and play i I will go back and play season two because i know that if i give it another try the 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 fundamental mechanics that got me into it the first time will still be there but hopefully with a lot of the fixes that that kind of you know got me to that point where i didn't want to play anymore more variety more maps more game modes and and quality life fixes are not sexy but they are some of the most important fixes you can make and they do add up when you make a bunch of them so i'm interested to see all of that stuff
0: yeah totally and i i do think you were talking about like the second wind or whatever i don't think it's going to necessarily be season two i think of course we'll see an uptick in people coming back but i do think that it it is going to be not too far away like i'm hoping that season three maybe at worst the season four is when we're really going to get a culmination of um a lot of what people are asking for because Halo has a couple things that we know are coming. One thing we actually officially know and one thing that, like, if you know this industry at all you know is going to happen, one of them being Forge Mode. That being uh, brought into Halo Infinite is going to be absolutely huge because that is such a creator-focused... Thing that gets people excited and get gives people you want new modes. Here's new gameplay modes, man. You can literally create whatever you want, and there's going to be insane people out there that make stuff that people are absolutely loving because the infinite engine is fantastic and it's fun to just play in that sandbox. So having more things to do, I think, is going to be great. But the other thing is going back to the well and just bringing back old maps. Like people want more arena maps. Guess what? Give them, hang them high. Give them lockout, and they're gonna be very, very, very happy. There's nothing. There's no drug more powerful than nostalgia and when you add that to, it's not just nostalgia for like reference remember this sake it's it for hey yeah that's that's a very this gameplay here's that that's again. a very
1: easy well to draw from right remastering old maps and it's not i'm not saying that's a bad thing it's it, mm-hmm. uh, pe- people want that nostalgia halo's been around you know for 20 years there's a lot there's a legacy of great maps you know people have great memories of classic you know maps from from the previous halos Bringing those back, there's no, there's nothing wrong with that at all. The other thing that I think, well, could help the, the Halo players and people in general are split into two camps over this. I'm on the side of of, of thinking that some kind of battle royale can really help them. Uh, I know they've got something they've got, they've got something like last I think sort called like Last Button Standing or something like that, which sounds like it might be kind of BR esque. Whether or not they're ever planning to do like a full on BR mode with a contracting play field and all of the kind of things that make you know that 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 typify the other big BR games. I don't know. But I would like to say, no, to me, there's no reason why it couldn't work. And there's nothing about Halo that says, well, you couldn't do it as a PR. I think you could. Um, we know it saved Fortnite, right? Fortnite was dead. And they, and they added Battle Royale, and now it's the biggest game on the planet. So I don't know if, if it's if it's on their roadmap or if it's something they're, they're thinking about. But I, I would like I, I, I'm not even thinking it was like, oh, here's a prescription to like save Halo. I don't think it needs saving. It's going to be fine. It's Just something I would want to see if they if they added if they added Battle Royale to Halo, I'd be back in there so fast because I love Battle Royale. I love Halo. Give me the, give me the peanut butter and jelly. Give me the two great tastes that taste great together. Dude, I'm right there. I love a good PB&J, and I love
0: Halo. I love vehicles. I love the, everything about this I think is inevitable, and I know that people get mad uh, at me saying that, but I think that we're going to get Halo Battle Royale to some extent. I honestly hope that it just straight up is a Battle Royale. I hope that they don't try to get too cute with it and change it up. Like, just just do the thing just do the thing and then also you add Forge mode you add the old maps you add all that stuff like I feel like when you look at what the competition is now Gary you brought up earlier Battlefield and Call of Duty it's like yes there is that element of competition they're also competing with what free-to-play games are these days and those are things like minecraft things like fortnite so and things like warzone so adding all those things together halo has the proper ingredients to satiate all of those audiences and i think that they they know that it's just a matter of timing and getting them all right and i think that the biggest issue is delivering them in a package that excites people enough to be like oh this is the jump in point because if they just kind of give little by little in between seasons or whatever, I don't think it's going to be as compelling of a uh, a pitch to, hey, now's the time to get back in and Halo's going to get a stranglehold back over the the free to play multiplayer market.
1: The thing that's most encouraging to me is if you actually go read the dev blog and the note, you know one thing that three, four, three and the developers do really, really well is they always they're very, very transparent. and when they when they release information, they it's like a long read, right? It's a whole it's a ton of information. Um, and the sense that I got from reading that dev blog was that they are very aware of where the problems are of of the feedback that they're getting. And, you know, they want to be, uh, responsive to it, particularly, I think on the monetization side on the, in terms of cosmetics, in terms of battle pass, because don't forget, this is a free game, right? This is where they make their money. If they don't have a good system to make you want to buy things, they're not going to make any money. So they are highly incentivized. The fix that the, again a lot of the problems that I had, which was you get a new piece of armor and you look at it, and you go, "Oh, a new piece of armor." and You open it up, it's like, "Who gives a fuck?" Like this is just this, this is not exciting. And you've got Spartans running around in level ninety armor that are virtually indistinguishable from people in the in the starting armor. Like you know, you 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 want to you want to be able to do like crazy bespoke Spartan combinations. And the the, the biggest thing. That uh that Mike and I were complaining about, or certainly one of them, and they are fixing, is this weird system they had where if you had a certain armor core that was only compatible with armor pieces that were compatible with that core. So you'd unlock a really new piece, but you couldn't equip it because you were rocking a different core. Now that stuff's gonna be interchangeable. So it's a million different things that they're that they're fixing and changing. Um, you know, this is the problem with these live service games, right? You're constantly running to catch up with the player base you release new content they consume it immediately what else you got right and they can always consume and get bored of the content faster than you can make it and so this is you know when 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 you go to the map with whether it be anthem or the division or destiny or halo or any of these games where where players are just constantly voracious for content and also complaining about 50 different things all the time that do genuinely need fixing their valid complaints it's just this never-ending grind you know the old days are like shipping a game and going ah, oh, like we can relax no like when you ship the game that's the beginning of the hard work
0: to close out this halo story i did see we just got a special guest appearance from one paris lily paris are you here and do you have anything to add
3: yeah I, i'm here I, I joke with greg offline i was gonna bust in here like the kool-aid man i um, love it like you I'm heard here. halo yeah. I mean, I mean, Gary's spot on with everything that he's saying. And we've obviously talked about this a lot on XCast because I'd even said a few weeks back, you know, I know it's a little bit of Monday morning quarterbacking, but the reality of it is they probably should have delayed Infinite two years to holiday 2022. The simple fact of the matter is they don't have enough content to keep up with demand. They're lacking some prime game modes that. You thought at launch maybe wouldn't have been a big deal, but it turns out it's a big deal. I mean, if they had Forge right now, the community could be entertaining themselves with creating stuff, maps, modes, and and the whole like. Um, I I hate to say that Halo Infinite's in trouble, but Halo Infinite's in trouble for that very fact. Look at the numbers right now. No one's engaging with that game anymore, and I fear even with the Season 2 stuff coming it's just simply not going to be enough. Like Gary said, that stuff's going to get consumed in the first week, and then it's going to be right back to where we were. And it, from the looks of it, we're probably not going to get the co-op and the forge and some of these other modes until holiday 2022. And the big problem with that is, will anyone even care at that point? I hate to say it, but the answer is probably no. That's just the truth of the matter. I don't even think, you know, you introduced a battle royale mode at that point. And my dog agrees that anyone's going to want to come back and play Halo Infinite. And it's a damn shame because at its core, it's a very solid experience. But we're in this age now of live service games that if you don't have the content to match it, people are just going to go find something else to do.
1: I don't know, Paris. Don't you? I mean, it's not like we're talking about like Hyperscape or something like that, right? Where the game comes out and no one gives a fuck and that's just it, right? Because they've never heard of it. But like Halo's Halo. Don't you think it has a bit of a a bigger buffer against... the rocky times i understand it's having this rough like post honeymoon period but like if they do actually write the ship and get and then and then and, 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 and the media narrative becomes halo is actually really good again now don't you think people will it's not like no one's going to give a fuck about that it's halo
3: here here's here's my counter to that and just the way i personally feel and i've seen other comments like this as well i don't think halo has been relevant since halo 3 personally I liked reach the campaign, but the multiplayer was lackluster. We obviously know the the issues with four and five was a complete disaster. That's just the truth of the matter. I think Halo has had so many missteps over the past decade. How many more chances are you going to give them to write the ship? Infinite was supposed to be them writing the ship. You remember I said before Infinite came out, I said it cannot be okay. It needs to be great. And it's turning out that it was just okay. And it's a damn shame. Yeah, we have
1: we, we've had that bi- we've had that bigger conversation, Paris. You and I yeah. about the generational appeal of Halo. Remember when you asked your kids if yeah. they gave a shit about Halo, and they didn't, right?
3: Right, they didn't. My son, like at launch, he played it for a while, and then he goes, "Okay, I did the Battle Pass on board," and then he went back to playing Fortnite or whatever the hell, right? Because he didn't care. So he's actually a great example of it. What can they do to get my son to come back and play Halo? I I, I don't know, and that's the problem.
0: Yeah very interesting it's paris, the thank you so much for wrong. joining us <laughs> oh man thank you paris we right, will talk you. to you very soon on the kind Thanks, of fun paris. next cast but for now i want to move to story number two bug snacks is coming everywhere dlc previews are also out here's the press release young horses are thrilled to announce today That their whimsical snack catching island adventure, Bug Snacks, will be arriving on Nintendo Switch, Xbox Series X and S, Xbox One, Windows 10, and Steam on April 28th for $24.99 US dollars with a 20% off discount. Bug Snacks will also be coming to Game Pass on Xbox platforms. That's a big deal. Windows 10 and Cloud. That's not all. Bug Snacks' free content update, The Isle of of Big Snacks, will also arrive on all platforms on the same day young horses is also happy to share that new trophies and achievements will be coming to bug snacks as part of the Isle of big snacks update bug snacks is currently available on the PlayStation consoles, and the Epic Game Store. The Isle of Big Snack's main campaign includes three to four hours of new story content uh, with a whole bunch of cool voice actors. Players will even find more to do on the main island of the original game with new mail quests, hats to require, huts to decorate. It's a whole damn thing, Gary. Uh, Dornbush over at IGN did a preview of the new stuff here. While Bugsnax and Hats is an immediate seller for me, I'm impressed by how thorough of an overall edition Young Horses has compiled for its memorable, surprisingly deep adventure. Like the main Bugsnax campaign, there's a lot more to it than you might expect, and the devs tease some additional secrets will be included that they don't want to reveal yet. And that seems absolutely true of the Big Snacks expansion. I expected a new area and hopefully big Bug Snacks, and I certainly came away with that hope fulfilled by the surprising, uh, but the surprising addition of the letter system and its new quests. And hunting for rare hats for bug snacks adds even more layers to a charming, funny, and unique world I've already grown to love. And then Jordan Reme at Gamespot says, ahead of its release, I got to see what's in store for Bug Snacks when the Isle of Big Snacks launches. In short, it's largely more of what the experience is like playing the base game. Sure, the Isle of Big Snacks offers new activities to do in a brand new story campaign, but the experience is pretty much just more of what we've already got. And honestly, that's 100% fine with me. I sadly didn't get to actually play the new expansion, so take what I say with grain of salt, but I can only pass my opinion on observations, not first hand experience. But what I saw looks a lot like what it's like to play Bug Snacks, which is a great game as described in GameSpot's Bug Snacks review. And making a fun guest appearance on his own show. Greg Miller has watched the demo and he's here to talk about it. Greg Miller, everybody. Hello. How
4: are you? Timothy Geddes and Gary I'm Wood. It's fantastic. good to see
1: you. Hey, Greg. Mm-hmm. How are you?
4: I'm good. Uh yeah, so I was part of the Jordan crew. Uh blessing from uh, the one and only kind of funny and of course PS I love you xoxo got to go play uh during GDC and he'll be talking about it on PS I love you xoxo. uh like Dornbush did. Uh, I was in the Jordan Discord group though, I believe, where we just got to see it. And yeah, I think these guys are nailing it, right? Where for me it's that sweet spot of I love Bug Snacks, that was really fun platinum and so them saying it's going to be 3 to 4 hours of new content with the characters and the Grumpuses we love. I'm all about that. And so I you know, Jordan's thing is, you know, it's a lot of, like, it's the same, it's more. That's true, of course. I think you're using the same traps. But they were very clear, I think, in their demo that, you know, they wanted to double down and expand on some ideas, right? So, like, when you put Strawby in the ball and have it chase the laser pointer, that was used in very specific examples before. Now it's being used as this puzzle device. They showed this maze where you have to use it and have to get around. And even the, the person who was demoing it kept screwing it up. And, you know, it looks like there might be a little bit of a challenge there. But, of course, you know, the the big thing for bug snacks is catching the bug snacks and so seeing you know the all these i guess with the exception of bunger who's the first big uh, bug snacks we saw or the big snack we saw Big old uh, the, bunger they're all new big old bug snacks they so like Deviled eggler and celery sticks and uh, there was some tikka masala that i there was a joke on that i got maybe that's it because it's not chicken masala or well, you, it was whatever there was a one that i'm not fat i wasn't quick enough to catch but they got funny names they got more bug snacks there's more you know things to do and run around and have fun with um i liked it i'm gonna play it uh you know of course they're adding uh, more trophies because of me there's because of me ladies and gentlemen Congrats. you're welcome to have more trophies in this one there's three new ones uh which is for finishing the new island uh completely decking out your hut and then collecting 10 new hats what will be interesting for me is you know the previews talk about it in more depth but they're adding in these letter quests right that basically then build out the quest as you see right here as bears playing the b-roll and that's all well and good but like as somebody who already beat it and has a completed save, right? This is something that happens before the end game. Uh, it's going to be interesting to see if I just have, you know, 100 letter quests right away or, or if those quests are interesting enough that I actually want to go through and do them all to get this one trophy uh, or if it'll be something I do for a little bit and then fall off after I do the, you know, three to four hours of the sidestep. Because even with something like Ghost of Tsushima, another game I love for PlayStation, right? I finished the story of the island of Iki and then never came back for the other, like, loose trophies I had. Very cool. Yep, I like it. I'm interested in in. Obviously, it's it's great that it's coming to Game Pass. The best deal in gaming, Gary.
1: Absolutely, best deal in entertainment. Full stop. My apologies. You gonna you gonna snack on some bugs, Gary? I played the first one when it came out because it was on PlayStation Plus, and because you guys wouldn't shut up about it, I thought you know I'll give it I'll give it a try. My kid likes it for about five minutes. I I couldn't get into it. it. It seems like a fun game something about the aesthetic did not gel it felt it kind of has the look of like an off one of those like off-brand animated movies from a studio you never heard of where it's like it just doesn't it just didn't feel right to me it's like aesthetically it just kind of felt a bit more creepy than 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 adorable but i i i I may i'm fully fully willing to admit that i might be in the um in the minority there because clearly a lot of people love it well would would maybe big bugs get you in though no just like if you say to me like do you like something no and they're like well what if we made it bigger i'm probably just gonna think (laughs) also no that that might not be the solution
0: well great thank you as well for joining us for this star-studded episode of kind of hunting games daily no problem talk to you soon talk to you soon and the cycle continues and as it continues everybody before we get to the new story let me tell you about our sponsors this episode is brought to you by me undies i love me undies you guys have heard me talk about me undies for years at this point i'm always wearing the me undies shirt the me undies lounge pants the me undies undies the me undies socks i can go on and on and on if me undies putting out a product chances are tim gettys is wearing them. the me undies membership is literally designed to make your life easier with free shipping and returns on every order savings on virtually everything they make exclusive sales and early access to their newest stuff there's kind of no reason not to join get super soft undies bralettes or socks shipped directly to your door and live a more comfortable life knowing you always have what you need at your fingertips when you step out of the shower. MeUndies has a great offer for all of you. Any first-time purchasers, you can get 15% off. For a limited time, if you sign up for their free-to-join MeUndies membership, you can get 25% off your first membership item. To get 25% off your first membership item or 15% off your first order and 100% satisfaction guarantee, go to MeUndies.com slash funny. That's MeUndies.com slash funny. Bunny. Shout out to MapleStory for sponsoring this episode. After 17 years of rich MMO gameplay wrapped in a unique 2D side-scroller, MapleStory is ready to proudly lean into its cute, pixelated aesthetic. The aggressively cute campaign aims to showcase the unexpected juxtaposition of cuddly, smiley characters with rich, multi-layered MMO gameplay. The campaign focuses on telling a story of immense character customization, a vast array of weapons and mounts to choose from, a seemingly endless horizon of lands to explore and battle all, while dealing huge amounts of damage to monsters of all shapes and sizes. I know a lot of people out there love Maple Stories. Hey, come check out this armed and adorable campaign. This is your world with over 40 classes and thousands of cosmetic customization options. You can play how you want, and there's just so much good stuff. 18 years of content, no signs of slowing, means you'll never get bored you can go to maplestory.nexon.net that's maplestory.nexon.net for more or you can just click the link in the description and we're back with a very unfortunate story number three and this isn't even news i just have to talk about it again because now it's official and it just breaks my heart gary but what what is it vicarious making me nervous Vicarious Visions is just dead. Dead, dead, dead. It's oh, all, right. Consume Blizzard, right? <sighs> RIP Vicarious Visions. This comes from Ryan Dinsdale at IGN. Tony Hawk's Pro Skater 1 and 2 and Skylanders developer Vicarious Visions has merged with Blizzard Entertainment. The developer was previously tied to Activision but has moved across to the Blizzard side of the partnership after it most recently worked on Di- Diablo 3 Two Resurrected. While the 200 or so employees will remain in their Albany-based studio, they will now solely work on Blizzard games, meaning Vicarious will no longer be the lead developer on any project, but instead a supporting studio. This is nothing, nothing new for staff at Vicarious. They were important support during the development of Destiny 2's PC version, but this official merge signals the end of lead development, such as that on Tony Hawk's Pro Skater 1 and 2 Remake. So here's the tweet that they did. We've officially merged with Blizzard Entertainment. Our development teams will remain in Albany, New York, and fully dedicated to Blizzard Games. We invite you to follow us at Blizzard underscore E N T. So we knew this was coming. It was officially uh, announced uh, about a year ago, but now, like the the Twitter account saying it, Vicarious Visions as a name, as a brand, is going to be no more. Just like Neversoft before them. Just like so many other other amazing, talented studios. And this breaks my heart, Gary, some of my absolute favorite games of all time. Um, A Blizzard spokesperson later told GamesIndustry.biz that the studio would be fully dedicated to existing Blizzard games and initiatives going forward. They added, after collaborating with Vicarious Visions for some time and developing a great relationship, Blizzard realized there was an opportunity for Vicarious Visions to provide long-term support. There's no word on which game Vicarious employees will be working on, but Blizzard has a number of projects in the works, including Diablo 4, a Diablo mobile game, Overwatch 2, and more. Vicarious's history spans nearly 30 years as it first released Synergist for PC in 1996 and has since worked on dozens of different titles for just about every console. Its biggest franchise is arguably Toys to life phenomenon skylanders which vicarious worked on for most of the 2010s and more recently it worked on the absolutely incredible crash bandicoot insane trilogy the impeccable tony hawks pro skater one and two and the diablo 2 remastered that i don't have any uh, adjective to put because i didn't play it that was first released last year gary do you care about this at all
1: i mean a little bit and i am not as as big a fan of 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 the games that you just like i was never really like a big tony hawk or skylanders or crash bandicoot um guy but i i recognize that vicarious visions uh was a developer was a company that had a vision right that had a voice like there were people like yourselves who when when you heard about a new vicarious visions game in the pipeline you you sat up right you took notice because you liked their stuff like they had they had a style and they had a, a particular way of like an approach to making games that people liked and they had autonomy right they had agency they kind of were decided deciding their own destiny the kind of games that they want to make that now presumably is over as they get kind of subsumed within a larger company. And that's sad because, you know, that autonomy is gone now. You, you, you've you seen the beginning of it right already, where they were already like their most recent project was basically remastering Diablo 2. And I, I, I played that and they did do a very, very good job. It was a great remaster, very, very good. But I don't know if the people at Vicarious Visions who were used to kind of, you know, coming up with ideas for games and then making them are going to be as excited about the idea of Blizzard saying to them, here remake this, you know, now, now go do that. And essentially just being like work for hire, you know, or just being told what to do next by, by, you know, their, by, by the, you know, the, the, the people at the bigger company that the now owns them. And just in general, Tim, it just, it, it it's not that surprising because it's obviously very, very um, uh, illustrative of just like the general consolidation that we're seeing through the industry. And in fact, even this story in itself, like this is like a rushing russian nesting doll right you've got vicarious visions which gets bought by blizzard which was in turn bought by activision which in turn has now been bought by microsoft so we're seeing the this, only thing that gives me hope gary the only thing is what the microsoft being at the top of the tree yeah and yeah, i think, that I think that, you know we're they are essentially now taking point. their orders from phil spencer who's one of the few good guys left so there might be something there and hopefully kotick will be out the door before you know too much longer and maybe maybe there's some kind of Um, you know, I I know that again, we were talking about the opposite, right? When Microsoft bought Activision, we were talking about how people at like Sledgehammer and Infinity Ward might be going, Oh my God, does this mean we might actually get taken off the fucking Call of Duty treadmill and get to make something new for a change? It looks like that might actually be the case. So who knows? This just happened. We don't know. We, there's no way to predict uh, the future, but yeah, it's, it's another, it's another brick in the wall of this new future of just fewer. Fewer and bigger companies making games. There's there's going to be a handful of of them left before too much longer, and they'll all be owned by the same two or three people
0: yeah I mean it's it's just such a bummer man as somebody that is a a huge fan of so many of the games and projects that different Activision teams worked on that just simply don't even exist anymore like looking around like the the and some of them do but like the Toys for Bob like High Moon Studios Raven Neversoft Vicarious Visions it's like one by one by one they just get gobbled up to just work on Call of Duty and work on Call of Duty and that's it that's all that they're doing and it it's just such a bummer because you know you were saying like Vicarious Visions like that meant something it didn't for a long time it wasn't until recent years that like i wasn't a skylanders guy at all like i understand the value of it and the kids loved it and all that stuff and it had a moment in time in the 2010s but what the work that they have put on put in all of the different teams that were working on crash bandicoot and spyro and tony hawk and like all of those kind of nostalgia plays they delivered so hard because they actually cared. It they weren't just remasters. Like they were real from the ground up remakes that were like improving those games specifically Tony Hawk. There was so much love yeah. put into that. And for those games to perform as well as they did, all of them sold great. It is just sold great, were critically beloved and the fans actually loved them. And then to to lose it to call of duty was so such a bummer and here we are in this place where sure i'm fingers crossed hoping that at least there's a potential chance that in a couple years phil spencer and the team at xbox will be like what do you guys want to make and that they're going to be like i want to make spyro 4 a game that i feel like was inevitably going to happen and that they have earned uh like we got to see crash 4 we got to see hopefully a new tony hawk that was good like it, it just is such a bummer to me that we're now in this like stalemate where because of the Microsoft deal, they can't even move forward with those plans if they wanted to, until everything's said and done. So we're looking at what 2025, 2026 to maybe get back the momentum that they've built up the last couple of years. Yeah, they, and I, they I they do they were finally believe... they were
2: like earning that like attention with especially mm-hmm. with Tony Hawk's Pro Skater one and two, right? Like it was really that and the crash uh, trilogy remake that was just like Okay, like we got to pay attention to this uh, developer because they put so much passion into these nostalgia plays and know what the hell they're doing when they bring these things back. It's not just like a cash grab for cash grab's sake. They are putting a lot of love and heart into it. Uh, And so it was exciting, especially with the release of Tony Hawk's Pro Skater 1 and 2 of like. What the hell are? What are they gonna do next? Are they gonna do a different franchise? Are they gonna add on to Tony Hawk and stuff like that? And it's just like right when they were coming up for like their like you know their kind of junior outing when it came to their development um, kind of life after Skylanders, right? It was just like it, it was sad to see them get cut short because they were really coming into their own. I forget, Tim, is, is Toys for Bob in the same? Uh, Toys for
0: Bob was the Crash Four team.
2: Yeah, are, are they in the same spot right now, where they're they're getting yeah. uh like kind of sucked in by Blizzard? Or Everyone it? is. Yeah, that's all that of them. Sucks. It,
0: yeah, and it sucks because like all of all the different groups were just kicking ass and like Gary, it it, it gets a little complicated. But essentially, what was happening is these teams were remaking or remastering the classics and then they would put those out they would nail it everyone would love it and then they would get their chance at a new iteration and that's how we got crash 4. Like they're like, oh, we wanna make a new game, and we're finally starting to see these new games by these super talented teams, and then we're just never gonna get that chance. And it's just such a bummer in every single way. And it, it bums me out because I've interviewed and talked to tons of developers and, and just and and even like business people, like the CEO types of these companies over the years for countless video games. And it is so rare that I heard the type of love and passion that I heard from these specific teams that we're talking about. They loved these projects and they cared so much about them and about getting them right. And then all of this is just such a bummer on top of all the even worse news of all the abuse and everything at Activision and all of that. It's like it just sucks the bullshit that they all had to go through and are continuing to go through. So I don't know. I'm upset about this. Yep. I fucking hate this. And I'm hopeful, hopeful that one day it'll all get fixed.
1: Well, as you say, Tim, I think the silver lining is the fact that now it's it is Microsoft and and Phil Spencer at the t- at the at the top of the tree calling the shots, and um, you know Blizzard, I think, really really suffered uh, under Activision's ownership and under under bobby kotick's um leadership if you can if you can call it that like Bl- blizzard's reputation took a massive massive hit from being the blue chip company it once was basically looking of like the pixar of video games to now you know being a, a developer with you know a, a very kind of mixed reputation and that's a tragedy i mean i you know i was editor of pc game in the 90s when blizzard was like as soon as you blizzard was doing something new like you paid attention immediately mm-hmm. and now it's like people are a bit more skeptical because you know they've had some duds um, and I think that is a product of you know the the Bobby Kotick you know the, the cynical cash grab machine that you just talked about. There's no company out there that's more of a cynical cash grab company than Activision. Look, they you know every single every single Golden Goose they've ever had they've killed it right. Whether it be Tony Hawk. Um, whether it be um, fucking uh, Guitar Hero, like just keep making them, keep making them. Let's keep making them until people are fucking sick of them and they don't want to buy them anymore. And I think Call of Duty was going down that road as well. We talked about it earlier. Like Vanguard sold a lot of copies, but nobody liked it, right? And and it's and it's a product. You know, World War II, again, really, do you not have any other fucking ideas? And they don't because they have to come up with something every single year. And it's exhausting creatively. And I think that the the, the Call of Duty games continue to sell well only because it's now basically become a habit it's basically like madden people just buy the new one because like that's what it's ingrained in their behavior but um i think call of duty was on i know we kind of like i'm off on a tangent now but i think it was on on the road uh to ruin and and one of the one of the first immediate really really positive steps that we've seen is phil spencer taking off that annual treadmill and saying you know what we are not going to do it this year we're going to push it a year, give developers more time to breathe and get it right, and maybe in the long term, you know, free up some of these other studios to do more interesting stuff than just, you know, make, make you know every other third Call of Duty game. Like, who's excited about that? Like, it's hard to get excited about this stuff. So it's going to take time, I think, for all the poison of the Bobby Kotick years to be leached out of Activision and for the patient to kind of return to full health and for hopefully the, you know, the Phil Spencer stroke Xbox, Microsoft, uh, vision or approach or leadership to, to something which, which that i think is that like creatively more healthy to kind of filter down to everyone and you know to the to the people at vicarious visions maybe they get to do something more interesting it's going to take a while as you said but i but i do think that that is um the silver lining is that at least all of this isn't in service of of kotick and his out you know his avaricious vision anymore
0: yeah absolutely uh moving on to story number four and like just full disclosure greg prepped this show and i just came in last minute to host it so i'm having a real good time reading through these things for the first time i love this headline everybody still work to be done on cyberpunk (laughs) it's just the headline (laughs) this comes from riannon bevan at (laughs) thegamer.com everything about this Brings me immense joy. Uh, Cyberpunk 2077's recent version 1.5 update was a huge step up, bringing the game closer to what was promised at lunch, launch. With free trials and big sales taking place since then, it's clear that the studio saw this as something of a soft relaunch, trying to bring in new players who gave the game a miss in 2020. But despite all the work that went into the update, CD Projekt Red isn't done with Cyberpunk just yet. On a recent live stream, Quest director Paolo Sasco confirmed that the team is still actively working to improve Cyberpunk sasco says that they are very aware that there is still work to be done to the game and that he's personally improving quests daily in order to bring in bring it more in line with audience expectations we're still improving the game because we're all aware that there is work to be done uh we're very happy you guys liked 1.5 and that gives us more incentive to work for you guys because you show your appreciation for it that's as much as i can tell you we're working on stuff for you like i'm literally daily reviewing quests talking to people about stuff so it's happening uh he also hinted that an expansion might not be far off and is actively being worked on now however like the other future updates he can't discuss this in detail right now i cannot tell you anything about our future plans but i can assure you that we're working on expansions we're working on stuff for you guys
1: Cool. Uh yeah absolutely there's still a long way to go um i do think the 1.5 uh release like you said they're, they're trying to kind of position it as a soft launch uh was a bit was helped a lot again as many people have said the 1.5 version with the, with the next gen iterations was really the game that should have shipped you know back on the original launch date right or they should have waited that that's what they regardless of the date they should have waited until they could have shipped that version at least which was which was at least you know, playable and didn't have any of the serious, serious, serious issues. Again, Cyberpunk, we'll still be talking about it in 50 years as, as an object lesson in one of the most catastrophic launches in video game history. But again, like Halo, too big to fail, right? They couldn't just walk away from it, right? They had to fix it, both in terms of recouping uh, their investment and also just in terms of their reputation. Like CD Project's a company that I think has, or at least had, it's been diminished somewhat by Cyberpunk, but a tremendous reputation. People are still excited about the next Witcher game. The Witcher games, you know, remain incredible. And Cyberpunk was this weird blip that they had. Um, and uh, the interesting thing, I was actually talking to someone about this at the weekend, about how the, I was going jump to jump back into on, on 1.5. And a friend of mine who had played it said, you might want to wait a, for a couple more patches because there's still a bunch of janky shit in there. And so that it's easy for me to do. I've got a massive backlog. You know, I'll, I, again, I'll, I'm just happy to wait until the game comes out. But my heart really goes out to all the people that bought it. Can you remember how big the hype was, Tim? Oh yeah! Remember the hype? It was off the charts, and and when it I mean I mean still scratches my head that they ever that they ever thought that was shippable. Like that's a sacking offense. Whoever 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 eventually pushed the button and said, "Yep, ship that." How is that? How does that person still have a job? Come on! Really crazy stuff,
0: man. We'll have to see if they finally bring it all together for Cyberpunk. But let's end the day with story number five. Nintendo is expanding. It's building. This comes from Ethan Gatch over at Kotaku. While the rest of the video games industry is consolidating, Nintendo is spreading out. The Switch manufacturer has finally responded to massive moves by competitors Sony and Microsoft by announcing a $39.8 million land deal to break ground on a new R&D office, whatever it takes to finally port Mother 3. Along with the R&D investments and capital investments, Nintendo believes acquiring and utilizing this land will carry an important role on reinforcing its R&D. The company wrote in its announcement today. Last month, Nintendo revealed the Switch had finally outsold the Wii with over 103 million hybrid handhelds currently out in the wild, but it still considers the console to be in the middle of its life cycle following 2021's OLED hardware refresh. On the back of that success, Nintendo's last year outlined plans for major investments moving forward. What will this new building be called in classic Nintendo fashion? Its current working title is Corporate Headquarters Development Center Building Number 2. However, the company said it won't be completed until sometime in 2027. If everything goes according to plan, the SimCity-looking structure will have taken less time to build than Breath of the Wild 2. (laughs) Oh, I God appreciate you lot, Here, <laughs> wow. uh, the new office will be located right next to Nintendo's existing headquarters in Kyoto, Japan, and will be built on a 107,000 square foot site, which previously hosted a foundation support factory and disaster prevention center. For comparison, that's roughly the size of two football fields. The roughly 6,500 person company currently has four other offices in the country. Last year, it announced its former card manufacturing plant would be turned into a Nintendo museum. Cool stuff. Cool yeah. I'm, I'm all about this love seeing nintendo expand more just giving more options to more people working on dope games that i hopefully will love
1: I think yeah that- i'm ex- i'm actually excited about it. even though it's not a sexy thing in itself oh they bought some land that they're going to you know put buildings on they basically you know nintendo's getting bigger right it's basically mm-hmm. where they're going to be doing more stuff and as someone who like if you ever listen to me on these podcasts over a length of time you'll know that i love nintendo nintendo's probably my favorite company in the in the video gaming business there's there, there there's no, there, there's no one else like them right? There's no other company out there like the Microsoft and Sony are very, very similar in so many ways, similar hardware, similar approaches, similar audience. And they're constantly kind of, you know, nipping each other's heels and doing their own thing. But it's like, you know, they're, they're, they're basically almost, almost identical companies in terms of the hardware and their approach to games. Nintendo's over here. They're letting give a fuck what anyone else is doing. They're just going to do their own stuff. They've got Mario, they've got Zelda. They've got some of the greatest games ever made. They, and they do wacky, wacky shit that like no one else would even think of doing. Like who else would have made the Wii U? And I know it wasn't successful, Successful, but it was a, it was WMD. a necessary stepping stone to get us to the Switch, which is now one of the most amazing pieces of gaming hardware ever. The game, the Nintendo Switch, is going to go down in history as one of the greatest gaming consoles ever, ever made. I, I feel fairly confident saying that, and the, I love the fact that you know they've they've had Nintendo's had rough times over the years. Not everything they've done has been great, but part of the reason why it's like that. Okay, I'm going to make a really bad analogy. Remember that movie? Okay, remember you remember the movie um, Signs? with Joaquin oh, yeah. Phoenix. Yeah. And so his character, right. He, he had, he had, he had two baseball records, right. The, num- the, hi- the highest number of home runs ever hit at that field, but also always, but also the highest number of strikeouts. And the reason, remember the reason why is because like, he couldn't, he, swing, he away, couldn't not swing at a pitch, right. Swing away. He had to, he had to swing for the fences every single time, that a ball was pitched in no matter what it was. And that's what Nintendo does. They always swing for the fences. Like it was going to do every time they try to do something, they're going to try to do something nuts and wild and spectacular. And they do a lot of stuff wrong and they drive. And this is the thing it's like this weird kind of abusive relationship. I love them to bits, but they also drive me crazy. Like every, every, like if there's a Nintendo story in the news, it's either they did something amazing or they did something so bizarre and, and and boneheaded. And and, and we can't even begin to understand why they would have made that decision, whether it be online or the way they price something or, the way they bring games to market, they drive me fucking crazy. But I, I, I wish I knew how to quit them. Right? They're just such a. They just do so much amazing stuff all the time. There's no one else like them. The video game industry would be so much poorer without them. And so if they're buying land and building a new building, which means Nintendo's going to get bigger, and there's going to be more Nintendo stuff in the future. Brilliant. Love it. I think the I most- love you
0: so much, Gary. I have loved you for many, many years. <laughs> I don't know that I've ever loved you more. <laughs> than you relating Nintendo to an obscure science reference. When you brought up science, (laughs) I was ready to fucking throw hands. I was like, is this motherfucker about to talk shit about one of the greatest – movies of all time okay <laughs> no man you brought it home yeah is that an exaggeration sure 100%. sure you gotta you gotta swing away sometimes okay yeah, exactly you I, I, I
2: appreciate the love for signs for sure it's a good movie i don't know if it, it's one of the the best movies of all time but no, like, no. like like joaquin phoenix you gotta swing for the fences um i think the most interesting tidbit in here though is that they consider the switch halfway through its life cycle um especially
1: with like it said that do you think there's going to be a, a refresh? Do you think there's going to be a true, yeah. like, pro 4K? Yes. Like actual, like, actual spec bump on the Switch? Because, I mean, they, I, I'd like to think so, but I also, like, Nintendo's never, ever cared about high-end hardware performance, right? When have they ever released right. a system that has been competitive in terms of hardware specs? And they've always done well without it. And I think that they, as much as I would personally like to see it, like, who wouldn't want a 4K Switch or a more powerful Switch? that that system is so fucking popular that they probably could just ride it out for another 5 years and 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 be fine don't you think no, I mean, like the thing is,
0: that I, we're in this in-between thing of like what being in the middle of a life cycle means, like I we're going to get a uh, more powerful switch. I, I think it's inevitable. I think it already would have happened if it weren't for the pandemic, yeah, but right. the pandemic's a thing. So uh, this, the, the quote of the halfway through the life cycle thing, they've been saying that a lot like randomly, but I feel like they just they keep saying it and they've been saying it the last couple of years. So I, I feel like it's not that they're lying, it's just that it's a little bit more meaningless than it used to be in other generations that had a clear split of delineation of we were there now we're here i think the switch is just going to continue to grow and i do think at some point games won't be playable on the old versions of the switch but i don't think it's going to be that big of a a deal because switches there will be there's always just going to be new iterations of switches the switch light the the normal switch there'll probably be a switch pro like whatever it is like they're just going to keep adapting with the The naming system of the switch and i think that that that's the the only way for them to keep succeeding there's 100 plus million of these things in the wild they're going to try to ride out that audience as long as they possibly can until they're forced to move past it it's not the wii u it's very different situation
1: yeah i think uh, you you may well be right and i think that you know again while it's certainly true historically the nintendo's never cared about keeping pace with like you know bleeding edge you know hardware they they, they've always released systems that are just good enough to play the games that they want to play it's always been a bit of a problem with third-party games and uh with with third with third-party switch stuff we've seen like for every every now and again you'll see you'll see stories like oh wow this actually runs really well or like better than you would think on the switch right well but then there's also for every for every story like that there's another one where a third-party game is like yeah don't get the switch version that's the one that really struggles so they're already kind of like at that cusp and you're right that, that will probably become more noticeable as third-party development and and triple-a and games get more and more ambitious it's going to be harder for them to to, to be ported to current switch hardware i'm just saying if nintendo nintendo only cared about like its own games which have never been like super super hardware like they can t- they could continue to make mario and, and zelda and kirby games for like another five years on the switch no problem it's it's how much they want to um uh keep pace with you know triple a development from third parties and making sure that that ecosystem remains healthy
0: i mean i don't want to go too long on this because we're already running a lot but i don't like they clearly don't care like if they cared about third party things for any real reason like we would see difference in their hardware they don't and the sales numbers show that and it it all just is kind of like trying to keep the third parties happy look at the the best-selling switch games any month it is not the big triple-a releases it is nintendo games right and maybe third-party games games designed
1: for the switch games that stick around on the top 10 for years right like mario kart 8 isn't it still like it's never been out of like the top 10 like selling nintendo switch games so yeah. yeah, they have fuck you money in that regard. I do think that they probably care more than they used to in terms, at least in terms of like indies and other things like that. Like part of what makes, if you, if you said to me, like convince me on buying a Switch, I would like, probably lead with all the amazing first party Nintendo games. But then I would also, as a, as a secondary point, so like unlike previous Nintendo consoles, it actually has really good third party games on it as well, like really good indies. And there's like actually a ton of really good games. It's not all shovelware like it was on the Wii U. So that has definitely been. I, I think that reflects the fact that Nintendo does care more about relationships with you know they, they don't necessarily care about getting like every EA game or every Ubisoft but game. That's on the, the thing on though, Switch.
0: I'm talking about when like when I say third party, I'm specifically talking about the top tens of the PlayStation and Xbox. I'm talking about the NBA Two Ks, the Call of right. Duties, the Battlefields. Right. Those aren't right. on Switch, and if they are, yeah, on and Switch, they do, and and on they do on just
1: Switch. fine without them. Yeah. Totally. Totally. But aren't but are you making up. But hold on, but aren't you making the argument for that for then for that's part of my argument for why I don't think there would be or would necessarily need to be a more powerful switch because the only reason to make the, the to make the switch more powerful would be to run those kind of games which we' just saying Nintendo don't really care about. Yeah, the thing is they don't need to. I'm with
0: you that they don't need to. I'm wanted, I want it, and I just don't think that they're ever going to do it in a demonstrable way that like really satisfies the needs of everyone because they just they aren't chasing that third-party high in a way that I think that they were trying to. I think they expected it was all just going to work out uh, back in the day, and then it didn't, and that's fine. And now they're just tripled down on their bread and butter, which is the indie games and their own big – Nintendo first party titles, and that's more than enough for them to just make hand over fist money. So I don't see them making any crazy. We're not getting 120 frames per second on the Switch. We're just not. But will we get 60 frames per second? Will we at least get a freaking like, like some level of a resolution that it is appropriate in 2022 on the Switch? I think but again, so.
1: Again, the but the other stuff you have to care about is the only the the the, the people. And I don't want to drag this out, but it's a, it's it's an interesting topic for me. The number of people who care about 120 frames a second or 4K or whatever, it's a tiny fraction compared to the wider market. My kid who loves a Nintendo Switch does not give a fuck about what resolution it's Yeah, at. but
0: see, she, that, but Gary, that's not true that it's a tiny fraction. It's a fraction. but It's the, a fraction, but I don't think, it's, it's, I don't think now, it's
1: significant enough to, to uh, change Nintendo's approach to how they make hardware.
0: But see, that, that, that is, we can't look at it that way, and I think that when we're talking about 120 frames per second, sure, and even the 4K, like, that is a, a specific thing, but we're talking just 1080p, we're talking about just, like, basic being able to, for a video game to run the way that it's designed to run. Nobody can look at Breath of the Wild and be like, that's how it's supposed to be. It's not how it's supposed to be, and we know it's not how it's supposed to be, because when you see that game on an emulator, on a computer, that's how it's supposed to be. That That is seeing the art style shine, that is all of this. But the thing I, is, there are more gamers than ever, there are more people playing this nintendo console than ever before and it's not just kids it is people that care about this stuff as well as the kids all i'm saying is that this to to write off like oh it's a small fraction of people is discrediting that that fraction is larger than it's ever been of people playing nintendo games that actually just want them to look semi-decent
1: i just wonder sometimes if people like you and i tim i mean look at the room you're sitting in right now if 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 we're if we're not in a a bit of a bubble where The people that we're generally talking to and hearing from are other high-end gamers who spend a lot of money on games and games hardware and demand the top-end performance. There's a reason why the Series S is massively outselling the Series X. I'm saying most people, most people, don't care about the, about those high end performance issues that we're talking about. They just want a console. That's good enough. The series S is good enough for most gamers. The switch is good enough for most gamers. And we're, and, and we're seeing that reflected in how many, how many of those are selling the series S is selling like shit off a shovel. The Nintendo switch is one going to go down in history as one of the most successful consoles of all time. And it's massively underpowered those two things that that's not a coincidence.
0: Yeah, I don't know. I think the Series S and X thing also has a lot to do with just the supply of the X itself. And I, I yeah, feel like they're just but,
1: but again, like how far down that rabbit hole do you want to go? There's a reason because Microsoft is prioritizing production of the S because that's the one that's selling.
0: Well, no, it's also just harder to get those chipsets and stuff for the things so they can't make as many Xs. I'm sure they want as many Xs out there in the wild because they're more expensive and they're running the games so, the okay, way they so, actually so want limit, them. To
1: so live. limit the conversation purely to the Switch. The, I, I, think, I think it's fair to say that the, 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 the lack of hardware performance on the Switch rel- relatively compared to what else is out there and what you might expect in 2022 has not been an impediment to its success. And I think from that, you can draw a straight line to concluding that most people don't care. About well, so, high end performance,
0: but see, I feel like that's a little bit hindsight's twenty twenty with this, where it's like, yeah, because of that, that's where we are now. Think about it this way: what if it was more powerful and could play the Call of Duties and the NBA Two Ks? Would the Switch just be people's console of choice? Period. The 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 normies out there, not the high end tech enthusiasts. I think it would. I think all of a sudden, when that would be the most. The the biggest argument of like ah, I can just have this one thing it can be portable or at home and I get all the games that I want and that's just if Nintendo just made it work better it it might be, but in order to make but in,
1: in order to make the Switch viable to run those kind of EA and Ubisoft and Two K type games that Nintendo don't care about currently that then then you're in, then you're increasing the the hardware you're increasing the price and suddenly the Switch becomes a different proposition part of the reason why the Switch is really popular is because it's relatively cheap you can get one for one hundred ninety nine bucks and so look, clearly Nintendo knows what it's doing right they they can't yeah, count look, the look, money the series- fast enough. It's the same price. Like the
0: Series S is even cheaper. The That's Series, S is, the Series S is
1: $299. Same price, as a full, same price as a regular Nintendo Switch. And that price point, again, I think most people have concluded, and this is why I think the Series S is kind of the secret weapon in Microsoft's lineup, is that there's a sweet spot of like, again, there's always going to be gamers like you and me, Tim, who are willing to pay top dollar for top performance. I'm just saying that we are... It's a pyramid, right? And we're at the top of that pyramid. It's the base underneath us, which is many more gamers are those who are willing, who are happy to pay less for a console that's just good enough. Who, who honestly would look at, we couldn't even really tell the difference between like fourteen forty or four K. I can't tell the difference half the time. You, 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 you get to a point where it's like really marginal gains, and people look at that and go, you know what? It's just not worth the extra money, and they're perfectly happy with a Series S or a Switch.
0: I, Gary, I think me and you agree on more than we disagree on with this. Yeah, the I, one I, thing- I think so. The so one thing I, I I do disagree with you on is that we are the top of the pyramid i think that we represent somewhere closer to the middle of the pyramid and that's the argument i'm trying to make Wh- who's that-
1: above you look at the room you're sitting in
0: i i well i understand okay fine maybe in my particular case here with that i i am up there but i but even that no no no, no. we're talking about nintendo here these aren't going to be products that are like multi-thousand dollar investments they're at most a couple hundred dollars and sure that is limiting but that's why i'm saying it's in the middle of the pyramid there are people out there that would buy any iteration of the nintendo console that comes out no matter what it yeah, is of course, whether, yeah, the whether or not there's an upgrade that's going to happen those diehards are not the top of the pyramid those diehards represent a big chunk of nintendo's audience and sure it might not be the majority of it but it is a much bigger chunk than it being just like the elite it's not an elite conversation no, I, th- I, I, yeah, yeah, I, I think though. i think
1: we're arguing over like percentages here but i think we both fundamentally agree with this with 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 the point that's being made is is, is that generally there are more there are more gamers that the mass market the mass market is not concerned with High price, high performance. There is there is a market for that and it's it's sizable, right? Otherwise, they wouldn't bother making the Series X. They wouldn't bother making the PlayStation 5 as expensive and as and as fancy as it is. And the PlayStation 5, right? High-end hardware, high price, super successful. So clearly there is a big market. I'm just saying, I think oftentimes because this is the world that we inhabit where we get all the games and we have all the hardware and we have all the fancy stuff and we love to talk about 4K and 120 frames a second that sometimes it's easy to forget. There's a lot of gamers out there who don't care as much about that stuff as we do. There That's are. I'm there saying. also
0: a lot that do. There also are a lot <laughs> <laughs> that do. But, Gary, finding out that, uh, if Nintendo is actually going to ever give us what we want is so far away. If I want to know what's coming to Mom and Grab Shops today, where would I look?
1: Oh my God, I thought we were done. We're not even finished no. with this podcast. <laughs> The official list. That was a good conversation, by the way. I Great enjoyed conversation, that. of course. The, the, the official list of uh, upcoming software as uh, on each and every platform, as listed <laughs> by the kind of funny games daily show hosts each and every weekday. do 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 do
0: do 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 Yeah. Out today, we got 13 Sentinels, Agus Rim on Switch, Biota on PC, Cathedral on PS4, Get a Grip Chip and the Body Bugs <laughs> on Switch, Stephanie, It's like Stephanie without a T on PC. Planet Zoo Wetlands Animal Pack is out now. Uh, The Super Robot Wars 30 Expansion Pack is now available on Steam. And Ghost of Tsushima Patch 2.18 is now live. Some new dates for you. Festival Tycoon is leaving Early Access on May 4th. Ayudin Chronicle Rising is coming out on Tuesday, May 10th on every system imaginable uh capcom reports capcom arcade second stadiums bringing another 32 arcade classics to switch ps4 xbox one and pc and Samsung will be a free download with this collection and pre-order slash early purchasers of Cap- capcom fighting collection will also get three wonders as a bonus at launch now it is time for you're wrong where you can go to kindofmoney.com slash you're wrong to let us know what we got wrong as we screwed it up in
1: the show um Did we get
0: anything wrong? Uh, the, 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 I, I wouldn't count this as wrong, but I'm going to read it anyways. SN says, Gary said that Phil's responsible for Call of Duty taking a year off. A new Call of Duty will not be releasing in 2023, according to a Bloomberg article, but this is not official yet. However, Phil legally could not have been the one involved in this decision as the deal's not been finalized yet. So while that's technically true, I do still think that like the, the idea of what we're saying here is that Phil – Phil understands it shouldn't be an annual. Oh, we mistake, say, so, so we're saying that,
1: that Bobby Kotick suddenly having a come to Jesus moment and changing the business model that he's adhered to for over a decade now, shortly after there was a change of leadership above him. That was a coincidence. Well, the the, the change of leadership hasn't
2: been implemented yet, so they're just uh, they're just trying to, you know, be clear that you know Phil probably wasn't directly involved with making that. decision. He well, definitely
1: wasn't yeah. involved.
2: He legally can't be involved in that yet.
1: Oh well, if it's not legal, then I'm sure it didn't happen.
0: i fucking love you gary and that's how we're gonna end this episode of kind of funny games daily if you're watching live on twitch after this i don't know we're doing something it's gonna be fucking fun (laughs) i think it's blessed playing some gta online yeah (laughs) gary and i are about to go do a post show patreon people i love you all chat you've been fantastic today barrett keep killing the game bye